With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Our team has been absolutely gripped and horrified by the story of Vanessa Guillen, a soldier who back in April went missing from her base in Fort Hood, Texas. Vanessa's family says that before she disappeared, she had complained to them about being sexually harassed by a superior. Last week, her remains were found near the Leon River. She was 20 years old. A suspect in the case, also a soldier at Fort Hood, took his own life as authorities began to close in. Another suspect has been arrested and charged with conspiracy to tamper with evidence. Today, I'm with two veterans, Lucy Delgadio and Pam Campos-Pama. In the first part of our conversation, we talk about Vanessa's death and how the circumstances around it have brought aspects of military culture into sharp focus. In the second part of our conversation, we talk about how they're seeking justice for Vanessa. Over the course of this entire conversation, we discuss sexual trauma and assault in explicit terms. If that's emotionally challenging or triggering or just too much, please take care of yourself. Don't listen. Listen with someone you love or wait until you feel ready. Thank you both so much for taking the time to have this conversation. Lucy, I want to start with you. Why did you decide to join the military? I joined the military just like a lot of us um, Latinas from lower income um, demographics. So both of my brothers served in the military and I had a very frank discussion with them of which you know service branch would be better for me. Um, one was a Marine, one was an ar- in the Army. So I went with the Army um, basically on, on the shorter boot camp and that's what made the decision for me. I just wanted to make a better life. I wanted to get outside the doors of Union City and um, just really try to create something for myself. Pam, how about you? Yeah, um, it's like it's been interesting the more I think about this origin story. So I'm originally from Boston. My mom is an immigrant from Honduras, and she was the one who encouraged me to enlist. And I just remember she was saying, like, you know, I fought to be here. I don't want you to lose your potential. 
and we need to get you to go to college. At the time, I didn't know anybody who had gone to college, and I had not, did not know anybody who had served. And she walked me to the recruiter's office because she wanted to give me a better life. So I went there for college money, and also I wanted to make my mom proud. Um, I wanted her to be proud of me, and I did feel like this country was mine, and so I wanted to serve it. Um, I mean, I had a really interesting experience. So I served as a counterterrorism intelligence analyst. And when I signed that line to enlist, I had no idea what it was, but I knew that it was one of the hardest schools to get into. I feel like as a young person, I had people constantly thinking that I was going to fail. I had a guidance counselor who told my mom, you know, kids like yours, they just don't make it in college. And so this school to military pipeline is really, I think, significant and I also had people that really believed in me. So I was in the Air Force and I was really eager to prove myself. And I had officers that were like, oh yeah, you should be an officer. And I was also really sharp and really good at my job. That's just so interesting because I think part of what we're going to get to in this conversation is some of the gender bias, race and ethnicity bias that you run up inside the institution. And so it is interesting to me that you found it to be a place of opportunity. You know, it's interesting what Pam said, too. I experienced that same biases when I when I first intended on going to school. One of my guidance counselors told me, you know, Lucy, you're really not um, a higher ed material. You should just go find a good husband and become a wife. And I looked at him like, really? Like, that's what you think of me? Because, again, I was raised by a Cuban grandmother who, again, wanted me to become, you know, the best housewife I could possibly become. Lucy. How would you describe the experience of being a woman, being Latina, in the military branch you served in? When I got to when I got to basic, when I got to AIT, I met a lot of girls like me, a lot of women like me, um, you know, black and browns, Latinas. We had a very small portion of white soldiers with me in um, basic training at Fort Jackson. So it was very interesting because I kind of met more people with my mindset. And that was, to me, incredible. But I had to deal with a lot of, you know, oh, here, you know, I, I was called really derogatory names. Um, you know, they didn't respect me in a sense because, you know, I came in as a private, so I had nothing, no type of rank. So I really had to build a respect. Pam, I see rigorous head shaking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to be clear, like my experience as a, at the very beginning was an absolute exception. But my experience throughout the military was that gender and racial um, oppression was really baked into the institution. I testified to Congress last December about this. So I'll just say, I also served during, during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And what I think is really interesting is that there, I served in an era where there was all these illusions about progress, like women can serve and, you know, we repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, and I came out to myself in the military, but that doesn't mean that there's culture change. I, I experienced discrimination and violence. And it took me years, it took me years to realize that someone groping me under the table at a Christmas party, at my first Christmas party as a 19-year-old, right, at the unit, was not normal. I was 24 when I went to my first gender violence, you know, event on a campus. And I remember hearing these stories and being like, but that's what happened to me all the time. Like, I saw that everywhere. Rape culture is embedded in the DNA of the military culture. 
And, and racial discrimination, xenophobia, Islamophobia is embedded in the DNA and has been normalized for so long. And so in an institution where that is the case, I've gotten asked a lot, you know, why don't people report these things? Why don't people just report? And I've said, you can't report something that is not, is not deemed a problem because then you're the problem, right? And that's definitely what happened to me. I served in a unit that was, um, had fraud, waste, abuse, and I myself was made a target of racial and sexual um, uh, discrimination, and I filed an inspector general complaint. Um, and I think the thing that I don't want to be lost is that anyone fighting for justice within such a gridlocked institution has some of the most incredible courage because it is terrifying. And the bigger thing is people know in the institution that it's a problem. Lucy? I couldn't agree with Pam more. It's it, it's such a, it's, it's so um, disheartening that we go there to achieve the best that we could be. And we don't raise our right hand in order to get assaulted. Um, for me, it was so, I didn't know what to do at the point where the harassment started um, because one person told me, but that's Lucy, that's just the way it is. What did the harassment look like? I remember walking into, um, it, we had like a dress down type of day and where they told us we didn't have to wear our BDUs and we could come into the office based, you know, just on regular civilian clothes. So I came in with like a pair of jeans, I had my Smith t-shirt on and a pair of Doc Martens. And, you know, one of the... Um, one of the higher ups in my office said, you know, like, don't wear that again, because then I'm going to harass you even more. Pam? We've been talking to so many Latina veterans lately, and it's just been interesting. The pattern of similar stories, the pervasiveness. I'm remembering how at my very first unit, somebody said to me, you know, you're either going to be a mattress or you're going to be one of the boys. Which means you're either going to be a slut or you're going to be a bitch. And something that I really experienced is this internalized oppression as well, that in order to not be in, if, you're not, if you don't want to get raped or harassed, then you have to adopt misogyny and patriarchy yourself just to survive. Um, and I feel so much sadness for my younger self. The big hypocrisy here too is you're in the supposed band of brothers. You're in the supposed camaraderie like institution where you're literally signed up to take bullets for each other. But these are the very people that are targeting you. These are your own brothers or peers are the enemy. And then the people that you would report to are their brothers. And so it's really interesting. I've said that we live in two different worlds where they're like a lot, of, predominantly men, but people of all genders there is this dynamic where men are like, I'm so proud of my service because they get rewarded for having served the country that they love. And what's so damaging to me right now is seeing so many women in whisper networks where they can't be proud of their service to this country, no matter what war or peacetime that they served in, because it was so painful and we are also erased. For me, I never met the height and weight requirements that the military wants you to stay and like standards. So I always had to get measured like for my BMI. And there was one sergeant that the minute he saw me coming in to get measured, he's like, no, I want to do Lucy's. And he would go really tight 
in my, like to, to, to really like get my breasts together. And I would be like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And everybody's watching me and, and people from my unit are watching me and, and commanders are watching. And he's really, and he, oh, let me do it again. I just want to make sure I got the right. And he would just adjust it. And, and I'm like, at one point I said to him, you got the number, like just stop touching my boob. And everybody looked at him like, okay, like that's enough. But I hear when I say that is not sexuality or lust, but humiliation and power, right? That oh. like that is, that's actually what's playing out there. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and you know, some of my humiliation too was by women in, in powerful positions. Um, I had a first sergeant call me a doormat. She's like, oh, here comes the unit doormat. And I was like, excuse me? And and that, to me, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. And I remember going back to the barracks and everybody's like, Lucy, what's wrong? And I'm like, you know, am I a doormat to people? And that, that just, again, you know, as much good as I, because I did there's good parts of my service and I appreciate, I, I met some of my, my greatest friends and some of the, you know, I have, but the, um, it, it, the bad and the good, it just, and, and sometimes when I start thinking about the bad and, and how's the last 60, 70 days have really brought up a lot of my bad memories that I've kind of stored away in components in my brain that I really don't want to think about. Um, it's an ugly, it's an ugly military for when it comes to women, and we really need to change the culture. Can I, Lucy, I do want to loop back to something that I didn't get to and I do think is important, which is that in 2015, you were diagnosed with military sexual trauma, MTS, and post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, 25 years after your experience with sexual assault in the military. What did you go through in order to get that diagnosis? Um, you have no idea. Um, so after I totally w- um, left the military, which was 98, so I was forced to leave my active service and become a reservist. So after my service, I said, you know what? I'm not a service member anymore. I didn't identify as a veteran. I think the only way you knew that I served if, if you knew me personally. So I was at work. And um, I had a confrontation with a gentleman who spoke to me in a tone that just triggered me. And actually, I had a massive panic attack that I thought was a heart attack, and I was hospitalized. And um, then that's when my husband actually told the physician that when they brought me in, my wife is a veteran. And they came in and the the um the physician who was a woman goes to me um could you talk to me about your service and then that's when it all came into light and i told her i experienced x y and z this is what happened to me and then she goes you know what i'm going to start treating you for ptsd because of your military sexual trauma again i hid so well i never told anyone because I, again, it was a the tarnish of my service. And it, it's hard because I want my children, I want them to be proud of their mother serving. 
I don't want them to relate the two, but that's what actually happened. I want to say something just really quick and really important on this piece. Um, so I'm currently in the process. This is this is kind of a mind blowing parallel, Lucy. I can't believe this. So I'm currently in the process of uh, my disability claim, um, and. I had to list five incidents of rape or harassment to get the uh, military sexual trauma uh, claim. And isn't, um, the, and isn't it disgusting that they make us say five? And what I, I mean, you have to list them out and you have to kind of prove them and you have to, and if you can't prove them, you have to get a letter. So it's this rigorous process and it's, it's really telling that it has, this has become institutionally an occupational hazard, that military sexual trauma, rape and, and, uh, Harassment is an occupational trauma that people are, you know, it is a disability, but that is something that I think I'm holding a lot lately. And the other thing um, is in one of my, in, in my appointments, I'm often asked like, well, what happened before the military? Did your mother, was your mother married? Oh, tell me, your mother's an immigrant? And I also feel that there is racial bias in that those of us that are working class and brown and black that we must have been damaged goods before we came into the military and that we're not getting those claims paid out. When we talk about reparations for war-affected people and this is an occupational hazard, who's getting those checks from the government? It's not us. We'll be right back. But first, a quick ad. Is there something that's getting in the way of your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? I have found in my own life that talking with someone can make a big difference, but sometimes the logistics, finding the right person, the time to connect, makes things complicated. BetterHelp Online Counseling connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp's licensed professional counselors specialize in everything from depression to relationships to self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Best of all, it's an affordable option. Latina to Latina listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code LATINA. So why not join 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health? Go to betterhelp.com slash Latina. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Latina. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. 
Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Vanessa Guillen was one of five siblings, an athlete. She played soccer and ran track and cross country. Her family says she dreamed of serving in the military since she was a child. Vanessa wanted to protect her homeland. Now a grassroots effort that's being led by people like Lucy and Pam is asking if enough was done to protect Vanessa. What does justice look like for her? Help those of us who are civilians understand not only how the culture allows that harassment to take place, but why it is so difficult to report it. That was one of the things we heard over and over again with Vanessa Guillen, right? That she would tell her family about this, but she was very scared about going to anyone who actually had the power to fix it. And she was very, very scared about the possibility of a family member intervening and communicating about it on her behalf out of some sense that there would be consequences for them as well. Does that ring true to you? Yeah, absolutely. So when I personally heard that she had told her mother, one of the immediate things is it, it has to be really bad. Not to generalize, but um, my own experience is that I wanted to shield my family as much as possible from the realities of the military. I didn't want them to worry so for her to tell her mother, a working class brown woman in America, in this moment, in this time in this country, about that, to me, I was like, it has to be very bad. And I think what it comes down to is it is about power. She was a lower ranking soldier, right? And I would say that there are not real mechanisms, even the mechanisms that are said to be put in place. If you feel that the system is already stacked against you, why would you create more and invite more harm? The other thing is that you have to then defend your complaint. And if you don't have enough power to do that, if it's just you and a bunch of men with, with shiny things on their shoulders, right? That's a problem. The other thing I'll say is that, and also the system, you, you, the military cannot investigate itself. There is no independent mechanisms for investigating violence within the military system. And the last thing is there's no political will. This has happened for decades, I would just say. Uh, you know, the fact that Congress members right now who are veterans themselves have not spoken out about this tells you how little political will there is. That if this is happening to one woman who told her mother, I have, you have to believe it's happening across dorms and units in, on that base. Lucy? Well, for me, it was I couldn't tell my family because my brother was my actual recruiter. And 
um, when I, I didn't tell my family until recently what happened to me. And I, my brother, who served in the army, called me and he's like, sis, why didn't you tell me what happened to you? And I'm like, because you put me into the army. You were my, you held my hand. You were there with me every step of the way when I went to Fort Hamilton. And I didn't, it was like a, I didn't want to disappoint my brother that I was actually sexually traumatized because his army is a complete different army than his sister's army. And my army is tarnished and where his is incredibly decorated because my brother served 30 plus years. And that's where I tell him, it's not your fault that this happened to me. And, but I have to explain to you that I shielded you from it because I didn't want you to think that you were responsible for the actions of others because you were my brother. I, I, you know, I come from a wildly religious Catholic family. It, It just made things so much worse in, because again, I had I hid for so many years under this rock, and then every time I saw things, inklings of of sexual trauma reported or things to that nature, I did not watch any media on Vanessa until like 23 days in. I totally like took myself out, and it was a phone call from someone that I serve with. And he called me and he goes to me, are you okay? And I said, why are you asking me? He goes, I'm watching the news. It's really ripping me apart. He goes, but every time I look at the picture of her, it reminds me of you. And that killed me. And that's when I said, you know what? I'm going to start opening up. And I felt responsible because all the work that I'm doing in the space still didn't save her. It didn't save the others that don't have the voice. And we have to create a voice for these women that are constantly being harassed, constantly being abused. We have to be a stronger voice. Let me scream so a soldier in in the next wave will not have to scream. Let me do the screaming and I'll take care of you. So when you enter the military, this will not happen to you. Pam said that as she was reading about Vanessa's case, the first thing that really popped up to her was the fact that Vanessa Guillen had told her mother and that things must have been really bad if Vanessa had gone to her mother. What sort of struck you, Lucy, as you began reading about this case? Again, the cultural aspects of it. Um, I, I could just imagine the, the thoughts. I, when I heard Lupe talk about her sister... And that, you know, that we matter, uh, like you're, my sister matters, that really got to me. Because for years, I felt like I did not matter. And I served and I served really, really passionately. And I served with so much commitment. And it, they took it away from me. You know, they took that away from me. And where my brothers, you go to their homes and they have all their declarations up and all this proud service. And I have little to be seen because I wanted to get to that pinnacle. I wanted to follow my brother's footsteps. And one person just took that all away from me. And 
When I saw how she really wanted to serve and Lupe said she wanted to make her family proud and that just ripped me apart. And I'm sorry I'm getting emotional, but it it, it just it it's too it it's too common. It it's a common thread that civilians don't understand. They automatically think that you that you're in the military and everything is glory everything is rose colored glasses everything is fine but when you deep down tell them that this happened to you they look at you differently i i felt like my military sexual trauma was a cloud over my head this dark cloud that was always following me pam um i have a thought um that's been rattling in my head um I have a I have a I say that I have a complicated feeling about my service as I do with my country. Where on the one hand I feel this honor um like I do I believe that I am a patriot because I believe that my mother sacrificed and this country is mine and there's a part of me that feels like no bigot will take it away from me. <laughs> But when I saw the family, when I saw her mother, I saw my own mother, and when I saw her sister, something that I think cannot be missed. And the reason that the Latino community is so angry is is that you immigrate to this country and you give the most precious thing that you have, your daughter. And my mom says it a lot. My mom is the biggest patriot. She has 13 flags in her house and she says um she loves saying my daughter served and i gave my daughter to this country to serve because i believe in its ideals and i want to shape it for us right and when i saw her mother i'm like how damning how damning that our community our community is the lifeblood of this country and we're treated with such disrespect we're subclass citizens and we are one of the highest enlistment demographics We enlist at higher rates. Puerto Ricans enlist at a higher rates. The children of immigrants are enlisting in this military for what? We're tired of being the lifeblood of a country that will not protect us or see us as fully human. And I have seen black, brown, Muslim communities rally around Vanessa Guillen and that family because this is bigger than also the military. This has to do with patriotism and if who gets to be American and who does not. And I am tired, especially in recent years. I have had Latinas especially come to me and say they have seen my career and they say, "I admire you so much, Pam. I'm going to enlist. I want to be an officer." And it crushes me every time and I have to tell them the real deal of what you're really signing up for. and it, we should not be put in that position where we want to serve our country right in a real way but it it means that it takes our life and our sanity and so we are saying if there is no justice for this family and for this latina then you will not get any more enlistments and we are boycotting enlistments into the military until congress does their job because we are not expendable And the thing that the Guillen family did, the thing that that mother did, that is so powerful, is she decided that the military is not just this trophy that cannot be touched. And she went after those generals and said, "Yo tengo poder. Yo vivo aquí también y yo no me voy a ir. 
I have power and I'm not leaving. And you owe us justice. It's hard to understand how a soldier went missing and that, and that there wasn't immediately no. an effort to find her. A weapon could go missing and they'll send, they'll tell everybody to stay on post. You cannot leave until we find this weapon. She went missing and everybody went home, put their heads on their pillows and went along their day. That's what pisses me off. A weapon has more value than an actual human being. I learned about this through social media, through social media and Latino networks. And even then, it was like a month. Like she had been missing for a month. Even at that early juncture, nothing happened. There was no real movement. And the army can say all they want. And this is what they do every time. They'll get us lost into, well, this happened, well, this didn't happen, well, this didn't happen. And I, for me personally, it's distracting. Again, they said that they were self-investigating and that they were investigating, but the family themselves publicly said that they were being blocked. And so it doesn't surprise me that the army now is saying, well, there was no credible evidence of harassment because they've actually never found us credible. And the family said that she was being harassed. So we find Vanessa credible. We find her family credible. And the thousands of women who have shared stories under hashtag we are Vanessa Guillen, they are credible. And so when it comes to sexual harassment and violence in the ranks, it is the Army and the Department of Defense who are not credible. She was on base. In the United States and across the world, military bases has the highest level of security. This does not add up. Pam, what does justice look like for Vanessa? I mean, justice... Uh, this is the hardest question for me personally um, because uh, I don't know that there's anything... Um, it, it's hard. I just keep thinking about that family. My, my belief is that the Guillen family has been the most courageous, has done the heavy lifting, and has done what is necessary to finally bring to finally have hope of even justice in a multi-decade plague of violence in the military. It's not just Vanessa Guillen, it's Lavina Johnson, a black woman who never got justice, and many other women as well. And so justice right now is about not reform, but completely overhauling this entire system that is plaguing us. Justice means Congress having a hearing we want Vanessa Guillen's family to have a congressional hearing and for those generals to be in front of Congress. And what justice is, is, is their demands. Their demands have been very clear. Fort Hood should be shut down. People that are saying that it's not possible, it is possible. The Army regularly shuts down bases under different initiatives. No soldiers would lose their jobs. They would be reassigned somewhere else. And it beyond justice, they deserve repair, reparations for their loss. Lucy, how about you? For me, it's about uh, creating that third-party reporting structure. Commanders, commands should not be doing the, the actual investigation of these allegations. Again, the culture has to change. The third-party investigation, to me, is something that's cru crucial. I don't understand why we have to report to someone that is idealistically going to protect their own. The boys club is always going to protect their own. To me, that's justice. No mother should bury their child under these circumstances. Not at all. 
And I'm a mom of a daughter. I have four children. I have one daughter. I would never at this juncture or any juncture would have allowed my daughter to enter the military because I would not sleep at night knowing that I put my daughter in the same space as me. And when people ask me about joining the military, I used to tell people to do it. I will never in a million years tell a young woman to join at this juncture because I would be an absolute hypocrite to say to someone, join the military. Join the military once they solve this problem. It is a major, absolute abomination of what they structurally do to women. Pam, what would you say to a young Latino who's thinking about enlisting? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's an impossible situation. It is my belief that if we leave a vacuum in the military, that it will be filled with ethno-nationalists. So that is one thing that I'm very nervous about. But right now, we cannot enlist. We are not disposable. We are not expendable. Latinas are too valuable, brilliant. We are hardworking. We are everything. And we should not give our bodies and souls to an institution that will not value us and that did not value our sister enough to do a simple investigation on her disappearance and whose murder is on their hands. As much as I believe in serving this country and in the safety of all people, we need to take a real hard look that enlisting into a military for healthcare and college in questionable wars where we will not be protected and we're treated as subclass is a broken system and part of a sick nation. This is a time of reckoning and we need to take our power back. Latinas should not enlist. We should boycott the military um, and we should build our political power in order to do so. And that's what this grassroots movement is doing. If someone is listening and they want to get involved, how can they help? Right now, the biggest support we need is A, we need voices, we need influencers, we need people to get out there and say, this is the cause that you need to support. Our Latino influencers need to get out there and make it vocal. They need to get out there and show that you are supporting your Latina community. We've, we've gotten a lot of momentum, but we need more. Pam? Congress needs to do their jobs, and Congress serves us the people. And Latinos, communities of color especially, need to make their voices heard. And so it is critical that people reach out to their congressperson and make it clear that this is important and that we need congressional investigation for this family. Um, also, we are looking for more signatures from active duty and veteran women. And so the letter is circulating, but if you go to bit.ly, dot com slash justice for Vanessa Guillen, you also can sign on and join us. And I'm going to plea to support organizations that do this fine work. Minority um, Veterans of America, Vet for the People. If you have deep pockets, I need you to go into your pockets and support the organizations that are making the change, that are out there stomping their feet and making the change, being vocal, making phone calls. The group of women 
that are doing this work by far are outstanding. I'm like, I guess I call myself the grandmother of the of the group because all these young women are, you know, they, they blow me away. I might be the marathon runner in the group, but they blow me away and they've energized me. Because again, in 92, when I, when I experienced my, I had no one. I had absolutely no one. And I, it took me 20 goddamn years to find women that are going to stand by me and say, Lucy, you are not alone. And those organizations need support. Lucy, Pam, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua-Williams and me, Alicia Menendez. Virginia Lora is our managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you are listening. And please, please leave a review. It is one of the fastest, easiest ways to help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.